Okay, hello everybody and thank you for the introduction and for the welcome and it's great to be up speaking to you again. Um, I was given two chapters in Acts, Acts 8 and 9. Um, oh, I wanted to thank the worship team as well, Alex and his team this morning, that was really great and it fitted so well. Fitted so well into what we're going to be sharing about the, this morning. In the last song, it said, that's why I ran and scribbled down here, worship. Power at work in me is changing me. Your power at work in me is, uh, is, is changing me. And really what we're going to hear about this morning is some very dramatic changes in people. Um, but a question to start with. I've entitled the message, three plus one. So, for the Daniels amongst us who's good at maths, Three plus one is four. Well, maybe, but this is not a maths lesson, unfortunately. This is a sermon. And if it's a maths lesson, then I think that'd be right. Four, Dan? Probably not in these things. Things change these days. But anyway, three plus one is four. But we're speaking about the God who can do the impossible. In Matthew 19, verse 26, it says, Jesus looked at them and said this, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen. Amen. So, any suggestions what three plus one might be in this sermon? All right. So I think that the result is the number of Christians that have probably been around up till today. So... How many Christians are alive today? Oh, good, the answer's there, is it? Yeah. Okay, sorry, I didn't do my slides very well. 2.38 billion, that's alive today. According to Google, I mean, I, I don't know. That's, that's 2.38, I thought it was quite a lot, really, because that's 7 billion people, is it? And so 2.38, there's still a, a lot of evangelism to do, but 2.38 seemed to be quite a lot, a lot. So why do I say this number? And actually it's much higher because that's the number alive today, but we're talking about all the Christians from the time of Christ up to today who have lived and, uh, since the time of Acts 8 and 9. The earlier chapter of Acts that we've been learning about have been about the foundation of the church in Jerusalem. But chapter 8 starts with these words. Chapter 8, verse 1. Acts 8, verse 1. Uh, on that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. You see, God's making the church to spread. And in Acts 9 and verse 31, towards the end of what we're going to be looking at this morning, it said, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. That was the beginning of us, the beginning of who we are. The beginning of Laboa Church is in these passages. Yeah. And uh, we thank God for that. And we thank the Holy Spirit working through those early brothers and sisters to bring us to this point today. So, the three I refer to 
in my title refers to the three conversions which are listed in these uh, two chapters of Acts 8 and 9. Each is very different, but I think from each we can learn lessons for our own evangelism. And it is through this evangelism that the church grew back then and that it continues to grow today. And the first conversion is of Simon the sorcerer. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. We were told they were all spread. Philip went to Samaria to evangelize. And he was doing a great job. Acts, verse, uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 6 and 7 says this. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. Now, one of the people who heard Philip and saw the signs of wonder was this chap Simon. But let's hear the story directly from Acts rather than me narrating it to you. Acts is a bit longer, sorry, but it's, it's uh, from these parts. Acts 8, verses 9 to 13. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the, peop and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because, they had, had amazed, because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they, be when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. All great so far. Amazing, in fact. A person who had practiced sorcery, had done various wicked things but excited people, saw what was happening and, despite the notoriety that his sorcery managed to bring him in the town, it says here in these verses, he gave it all up, believed the good news of the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, and was baptized. Can we learn anything from this? Well, the lesson I see is that we cannot see in the heart of the person. Philip, in a way, had every reason to be a bit cautious, perhaps suspicious about the conversion of a man who'd been so mixed up in these uh, occult or sorcery things and profiting from them, from the sorcery, for a long time. But Simon stated his belief and was baptized, so I guess Philip felt the change was genuine. I think we also need to give people the benefit of a doubt sometimes. Who we might wonder about the genuineness of their faith or request for a baptism. I know this is a very delicate subject and no doubt has caused much debate amongst the church leadership down through the centuries and up to today. But at the end of the day, this is an issue between that person and God and the truth will come to pass. So what was the truth in Simon's case? The apostles in Jer Jerusalem heard lots of good news coming out of Samaria and the growth of the church. And so they sent Peter and John... Ah, by the way, this is why you need to read the chapters of these verses between... I skipped a whole lot of verses then. 
because, and it says all about what happened in Jerusalem, but for now I'm not talking about it. So if you want to fill the missing bits, as Monica said, please do read in between. Um, so where were we? <laughs> Great news, they chose the church. So they sent Peter and John to see for themselves, and on seeing what happened, they prayed that the Holy Spirit might come on the new believers. Now, these few verses could be a whole sermon series, but I just want to highlight one verse, 17. Then Peter and John, so Acts 8, verse 17. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And for our friend Simon, this seems to be the point at which the problems begin. Acts 8, verses 18 and 19. When Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying on hands, of the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. As I read this verse, I expect the bolt of lightning to suddenly descend and zap Simon, as it did with Ananias and Sapphira. But in this case, it didn't. This is not going to happen. Fortunate for Simon, I guess. He naturally gets a serious rebuke um, and, of course, his money is rejected. And his wickedness, about his, um, about his money, about his wickedness, his part within his, the church, his unrighteousness, his bitterness, and his sin. But within all this, Peter also says to Simon, Acts 8, verse 22, Repent of this wickedness and, and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you and having such a thought in your heart. Yes, he'd done lots of wrong things. But even as he faced those wrong things, there was still that opportunity of forgiveness. No one is beyond the love of God, the salvation of God. And Simon's response to Peter's rebuke and instruction, actually, this also sounds quite genuine. And I'm sure that Peter did as he was requested by Simon. But as we read nothing more about it, Simon, in the Bible... We do not know the end of the story. Acts 8 verse 24 says, Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me. I'm sure Peter did that. So that nothing you have said may happen to me. As I reflect on the conversion, of, conversion in inverted commas, maybe, of Simon, the parable of the sower comes to mind. And the fact is that even Jesus knew that people's responses to the gospel will be different. And we should not get discouraged when the sorcerer Simons come into our lives. As the early church was doing so effectively, and we need to continue to do today, we need to evangelize, to sow the seed, to pray that much may fall on fertile soil. Simon seems to fall into the first category of the parable of the sower. Mark 4 and verse 15, Jesus says this, Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown, but as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes that word away, what was sown in them. Okay, so perhaps Simon's conversion was not one of the ones adding to our 3 plus 1 equals 2.38 billion. But the next two conversions certainly did. 
The second was, his, um, was the conversion of what we call the Ethiopian eunuch. I think we all know the story. Philip is told by an angel of the Lord to go to the Gaza road and the angel doesn't actually say why he should go but I guess even stubborn Alistair would do as he told if I was told by an angel. So he went and he wasn't transported, he just was told to walk there, so he, he walked there. Anyway, Philip ends up on the Gaza road and comes across this important Ethiopian who is on his way back from the visit to Jerusalem. Now, two quick things. One, the fact that this uh, Ethiopian was on his way back from Jerusalem, uh, where he'd been to worship, means he already had some interest in God, some exposure to, to God and to the, the, the God of Yahweh, the, the Jewish God, the, the <laughs> Jewishism, Judaism. Um, and two, Philip would have known that this man was important. Now, I, I didn't see a picture of his chariot, but it says he was laying back in the chariot. When they talk about chariot, I think of these Roman chariots. But this one had a seat in it. He was sitting in it. So this was like a Range Rover chariot. So he had to be an important person. So one, he knew something about God. Two, he was an important person. And the Spirit says to Philip to walk, or rather trot, <laughs> alongside the chariot. And eventually he sparks up a conversation with the official. We read about that in Acts uh, 30, verse 31, 30 to 31. Then Philip ran, he was running, up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. The Ethiopian replied, How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I think we have to understand that God has a plan for each of us and a role for his kingdom building for each of us. We need to be searching, receptive and willing to walk in this plan. Philip was firstly led by an angel and then by the Spirit. But on other occasions, the early disciples discovered God's leading through storms, rumours of trouble, advice from others, disciples and believers and in many other ways. God can direct us in so many ways and we need to have our hearts open to this leading. Just as happened when God spoke to Elijah. In 1 Kings verse 19, verse 12, it says this, After the earthquake and the fire came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Perhaps that's how God is going to speak with us. Maybe he won't send an angel to Alistair. Maybe he might prompt me by his spirit. But maybe it would just be that small voice speaking to us. And at the end of the message, I'm going to invite people up. And if you would like prayer concerning that small voice of God, for God's plan for your life, then I'd welcome you to come up and, and pray with us about that. God has very exciting plans and important critical plans for each and all of everybody sitting in here or standing in here this morning. The Ethiopian was wanting um, to know more and welcomed Philip's request to explain more. We should also not be shy in asking people if they would like to know more about God. If they say no, fine. But they may say yes. And what's the harm of asking them anyway? 
The Ethiopian was wanting to know more, and Philip welcomed, and, and welcomed. Oh, yeah, sorry, I read that. Once again, we see the immediate response of coming to Jesus through the act of baptism. The Ethiopian says to Philip, Here is some water. Why can I not get baptized here? No reason at all. The man is baptized, and as they come out of the water, God rewards Philip with no walking or running this time, but a heavenly beam me up to another place and assignment. And off he goes. And the Ethiopian goes back. But the work of the Lord was done. The seed of the Ethiopian church has been sown. Acts 8 verse 39 says this, When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Perhaps a very different end than our first conversion. So three, our third conversion. And this is perhaps the most famous and arguably the most important conversion, although we have said each of us has a critical role to play in the kingdom, is the conversion of Saul, who was to become Paul. And the Lord changed his zeal to destroy the church to an even greater zeal to see the gospel spread. There is much we could talk about within these verses containing the narrative of Saul's conversion. But I want us today to focus on just the words of Jesus. In some of your Bibles, they'll be written in, in red font. So Acts 9, verses 4 to 6 say this. He fell to the ground and heard a voice to say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. In a way, this comes back to something we looked at, or something we said, as we looked at Simon the sorcerer. For us, we can just look at the outward appearance and the character. How the character is now. How the person was in the past. But God doesn't... He does look at that, but he doesn't really look at that. He looks into the heart. And not only sees the soul of the past and the soul of the present, but also sees the soul, stroke Paul, of the future. The opportunity that is for this man. And that is very exciting for each of us as we become Christians. The failures of our past, the mistakes of our past, they're forgotten. However good or bad we were, they're forgotten. They were put to death with Jesus on the cross. They're left at the foot of the cross. And it is our future that Jesus is now interested in. So Saul is blind and taken to Damascus where he doesn't eat or drink for three days as he waits for the next instruction from Jesus. And of course, this is happening. God is always true to his word. And it is through his servant Ananias that the next instruction comes to Saul. Acts, verses, Acts chapter 9, verses 10 to 12. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man of, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. 
In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place hands on him to restore his sight. Now, Ananias, like most other people in the area at that time, or Christians anyway, had heard about this man Saul and the terrible way in which he had been persecuting the church. And quite naturally, Ananias had questions about the instruction from the Lord. And in verse 15 and 16, he gets this response. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer in my name. I like the explanation mark after go. Go! I know, God knows what he's doing. We may have suspicions about these people. You may wonder about why is he choosing Saul? Saul's been doing such terrible things. Go. I have great plans for Saul. It left Ananias in no doubt that God had a plan for this man Saul. It is exciting to be a part of God's kingdom. Who knows how God will use our small words to build his kingdom and to perhaps bring people to faith who will have a mega impact on the kingdom. Just like for Ananias and ultimately Saul, the key role for each one of us is simply to be obedient, to listen to that small voice, listen to the spirit working our lives, listen to the angel that might come to us, but be obedient. And then Ananias went to Saul, he laid his hands on him, and in Acts 9, verse 18 and 20, it says, Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, instant again. And after taking some food, he regained strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. It took a little time for the people to trust this change in Saul's life. And that is understandable. But his work showed this change and the church grew. Acts 9 verse 31 says this, and we read this at the beginning. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria, enjoyed a time of peace and strengthened and was strengthened, living in fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. We thank God for the way that he goes before, working and planning and, and changing people, changing lives. And that's what we were singing in our songs this morning. That's why I was so appreciative of the worship, talking about changed lives for Christ. Now, those are our three conversions. So, we now get the plus one. And this is the end of chapter nine. Actually, it's actually two, and I almost changed it to two, but then I thought, no, no, let me leave it plus one. I knew this would happen. I ran out of space and time. I always set my thing 2,000 words, and this is 2,112 or something, so I thought it might go for a bit longer, sorry. Um, I ran out of space to write much about the two bonuses at the end of Acts 9. The first is a healing of a paralyzed man called Ananas, who got up and ran around after eight years of sitting on a mat. Please uh, read it for yourselves. I'm not going to refer much to that. But the second is an even more incredible miracle concerning a lady called Dorcas in Greek, or Tabitha in 
in uh, Hebrew. It's the same person. She was a wonderful servant of the church and had been doing good and helping the poor, and she died. Her friends called to Peter, who was in that area, to come, and he came to the room in which Dorcas's body was lying. He asked the people to leave, then he knelt, he prayed, and he told the woman to get up. She did. What an ending. That's why I had to have this plus one. It was so exciting at the end of all those two, uh, two, uh, pa- uh, uh, two chapters of Acts. In Acts 9 and verse 31, it says, 41, sorry, he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented to her, them to her, alive! Praise God. So, three plus one plus you equals, let's just pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your saving grace. Thank you for the conversions that we read about. We don't know about Simon the sorcerer. We know that some seed does fall on stony ground. But Lord, as we read about uh, Ethiopian eunuch, as we read about Saul and all that the, he did as Paul, and we read about in the later, we're going to see as we go through the later part of Acts, Lord, we thank you for preparing your church, for using people like you, like uh, each one of us here, to be the people to change this world for you. Lord, it was small beginnings, but as we read, your word spread. There was great power moving amongst the church. There was great commitment within the church. There was a great zeal to reach out further within the church. Lord, we thank you for bringing each one of us to you. And we, Lord, we pray that you would continue to use us, that we would be willing to be used by you for your kingdom. Here in Laboa, here in our workplaces, in our homes, Lord, wherever you have us now at this present time or you're going to take us in the future. Lord, we want to be your instruments to bring your light and your life to others following in the examples of these great early Christians. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I said at the end, I just asked if anybody wanted to come and if the leaders or the prayer team want to come as well. Uh, For anybody who would like prayer, about this small voice, you're unsure what God has in store for you. No problem. I've been many times in my life when I've really been uncertain what's next. Even now, my current job goes up to the end of the year, and then what's next? I have no idea. Of course I push doors, but God knows. And so, um, I didn't warn the worship team or anything, so we'll, uh, maybe there's being some music on the... Uh, I know uh, Kimberly helped, finds that helpful last week, so let's follow Kimberly's example. But if anyone wants to come up for prayer, please, please do. And... Um, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll pray over you for this voice. And uh, I had a question. Did I put there's one other slide, I think. Yeah, at the bottom. If you're not coming up, then, uh, then do consider this question, the bottom question. How has God surprised you in the opportunities he has given you to share the gospel 
with others. Amen.